Question 104 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues The Virtue of Justice This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues The Virtue of Justice by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 104 of Obedience in Six Articles We must now consider obedience, under which head there are six points of inquiry. First, whether one man is bound to obey another. Second, whether obedience is a special virtue. Third, of its comparison with other virtues. Fourth, whether God must be obeyed in all things. Fifth, whether subjects are bound to obey their superiors in all things. Sixth, whether the faithful are bound to obey the secular power. First article, whether one man is bound to obey another. Objection one, it seems that one man is not bound to obey another, for nothing should be done contrary to the divine ordinance. Now God has so ordered that man is ruled by his own counsel, according to Ecclesiasticus 15.14, God made man from the beginning and left him in the hand of his own counsel. Therefore, one man is not bound to obey another. Objection to further. If one man were bound to obey another, he would have to look upon the will of the person commanding him as being his rule of conduct. Now God's will alone, which is always right, is a rule of human conduct. Therefore, man is bound to obey none but God. Objection 3 further. The more gratuitous the service, the more is it acceptable. Now what a man does out of the duty is not gratuitous. Therefore, if a man were bound in duty to obey others in doing good deeds, for this very reason his good deeds would be rendered less acceptable through being done out of obedience. Therefore, one man is not bound to obey another. On the contrary, it is prescribed in Hebrews 13.17, Obey your prelates and be subject to them. I answer that, just as the actions of natural things proceed from natural powers, so do human actions proceed from the human will. In natural things, it behooved the higher to move the lower to their actions by the excellence of the natural power bestowed on them by God. And so in human affairs, also, the higher must move the lower by their will in virtue of a divinely established authority. Now to move by reason and will is to command. Wherefore, just as in virtue of the divinely established natural order, the lower natural things need to be subject to the movement of the higher, so too in human affairs, in virtue of the order of natural and divine law, Inferiors are bound to obey their superiors. 
Reply to Objection 1. God left man in the hand of his own counsel, not as though it were lawful to him to do whatever he will, but because, unlike irrational creatures, he is not compelled by natural necessity to do what he ought to do, but is left the free choice proceeding from his own counsel. And just as he has to proceed on his own counsel in doing other things, so too has he in the point of obeying his superiors. For Gregory says, in his commentary on Job 35, When we humbly give way to another's voice, we overcome ourselves in our own hearts. Reply to Objection 2 The will of God is the first rule whereby all rational wills are regulated, and to this rule one will approaches more than another, according to a divinely appointed order. Hence the will of the one man who issues a command may be as a second rule to the will of this other man who obeys him. Reply to Objection 3 A thing may be deemed gratuitous in two ways. In one way, on the part of the deed itself, because to which one is not bound to do it. In another way, on the part of the doer, because he does it of his own free will. Now a deed is rendered virtuous, praiseworthy, and meritorious, chiefly according as it proceeds from the will. Wherefore, although obedience be a duty, if one obey with a prompt will, one's merit is not for that reason diminished, especially before God, who sees not only the outward deed, but also the inward will. Second article, whether obedience is a special virtue. Objection 1. It seems that obedience is not a special virtue, for disobedience is contrary to obedience. But disobedience is a general sin because Ambrose says in On Paradise 8 that sin is to disobey the divine law. Therefore, obedience is not a special virtue. Objection to further, every special virtue is either theological or moral. But obedience is not a theological virtue, since it is not comprised under faith, hope, or charity. Nor is it a moral virtue, since it does not hold the mean between excess and efficiency, for the more obedient one is, the more is one praised. Therefore, obedience is not a special virtue. Objection 3 further. Gregory says in his commentary on Job 35 that Obedience is the more meritorious and praiseworthy, the less it holds its own. But every special virtue is the more to be praised, the more it holds its own, since virtue requires a man to exercise his will and choice, as stated in Ethics 2.4. Therefore, obedience is not a special virtue. Objection for further, virtues differ in species according to their objects. Now the object of obedience would seem to be the command of a superior, of which apparently there are as many kinds as there are degrees of superiority. Therefore, obedience is a general virtue comprising many special virtues. On the contrary, 
obedience is reckoned by some to be a part of justice, as stated above in question 80. I answer that, a special virtue is assigned to all good deeds that have a special reason of praise, for it belongs properly to virtue to render a deed good. Now obedience to a superior is due in accordance with the divinely established order of things, as shown above in Article 1, and therefore it is a good, since good consists in mode, species, and order, as Augustine states in On the Nature of Good 3. Again, this act has a special aspect of praiseworthiness by reason of its object. For while subjects have many obligations towards their superiors, this one, that they are bound to obey their commands, stands out as special among the rest. Wherefore obedience is a special virtue, and its specific object is a command, tacit or express, because the superior's will, however it become known, is a tacit precept, and a man's obedience seems to be all the more prompt, forasmuch as by obeying, he forestalls the express command as soon as he understands his superior's will. Reply to Objection 1 Nothing prevents the one same material object from admitting two special aspects to which two special virtues correspond. Thus a soldier, by defending his king's fortress, fulfills both an act of fortitude by facing the danger of death for a good end, and an act of justice by rendering due service to his lord. Accordingly, the aspect of precept, which obedience considers, occurs in acts of all virtues, but not in all acts of virtue, since not all acts of virtue are a matter of precept, as stated above, in the Pars Prima Secundae, question 96, article 3. Moreover, certain things are sometimes a matter of precept, and pertain to no other virtue, such things, for instance, as are not evil except because they are forbidden. Wherefore, if obedience be taken in its proper sense, as considering formally and intentionally the aspect of precept, it will be a special virtue, and disobedience a special sin, because in this way it is requisite for obedience that one perform an act of justice or of some other virtue with the intention of fulfilling a precept, and for disobedience that one treat the precept with actual contempt. On the other hand, if obedience be taken in a wide sense for the performance of any action that may be a matter of precept, and disobedience for the omission of that action through any intention whatever, then obedience will be a general virtue, and disobedience a general sin. Reply to Objection 2. Obedience is not a theological virtue, for its direct object is not God but the precept of any superior, whether expressed or inferred, namely, a simple word of the superior indicating his will, and which the obedient subject obeys promptly, according to Titus 3.1. Admonish them to be subject to princes, and to obey at a word, etc. It is, however, a moral virtue, since it is a part of justice, 
and it observes the mean between excess and efficiency. Excess thereof is measured in respect not of quantity but of other circumstances, in so far as a man obeys either whom he ought not, or in matters wherein he ought not to obey, as we have stated above in regarding religion. Question 92, Article 2. We may also reply that as in justice, excess is in the person who retains another's property, and deficiency in the person who does not receive his due, according to the philosopher in Ethics 5.4. So too, obedience observes the mean between excess on the part of him who fails to pay due obedience to his superior, since he exceeds in fulfilling his own will, and deficiency on the part of the superior who does not receive obedience. Wherefore, in this way, obedience will be a mean between two forms of wickedness, as was stated above concerning justice. Question 58, Article 10. Reply to Objection 3. Obedience, like every virtue, requires the will to be prompt towards its proper object, but not towards that which is repugnant to it. Now the proper object of obedience is a precept, and this proceeds from another's will. Wherefore, obedience makes a man's will prompt in fulfilling the will of another, the maker, namely, of the precept. If that which is prescribed to him is willed by him for its own sake, apart from its being prescribed, as happens in agreeable matters, he tends towards it at once by his own will and seems to comply, not on account of the precept, but on account of his own will. But if that which is prescribed is nowise willed for its own sake, but, considered in itself, repugnant to his own will, as happens in disagreeable matters, then it is quite evident that it is not fulfilled except on account of the precept. Hence Gregory says, in his commentary on Job 35, that obedience perishes or diminishes when it holds its own in agreeable matters, because to wit, one's own will seems to tend principally not to the accomplishment of the precept, but to the fulfillment of one's own desire, but that it increases in disagreeable or difficult matters, because there one's own will tends to nothing beside the precept. Yet this must be understood as regards outward appearances, for, on the other hand, according to the judgment of God, who searches the heart, it may happen that even in agreeable matters, obedience, while holding its own, is nonetheless praiseworthy, provided the will of him that obeys tend no less devotedly to the fulfillment of the precept. Reply to Objection 4. Reverence regards directly the person that excels, wherefore it admits of various species according to the various aspects of excellence. Obedience, on the other hand, regards the precept of the person that excels, and therefore admits of only one aspect. And since obedience is due to a person's precept on account of reverence to him, it follows that obedience to a man is of one species, though the causes from which it proceeds differ specifically. 
Third article. Whether obedience is the greatest of the virtues. Objection 1. It seems that obedience is the greatest of the virtues, for it is written in 1 Kings 15.22, Obedience is better than sacrifices. Now the offering of sacrifices belongs to religion, which is the greatest of all moral virtues, as shown above in question 81, article 6. Therefore, obedience is the greatest of all virtues. Objection to further. Gregory says in his commentary on Job 35 that obedience is the only virtue that engrafts virtues in the soul and protects them when engrafted. Now the cause is greater than the effect. Therefore, obedience is greater than all the virtues. Objection 3 further. Gregory says in his commentary on Job 35 that evil should never be done out of obedience. Yet sometimes for the sake of obedience, we should lay aside the good we are doing. Now one does not lay aside a thing except for something better. Therefore, obedience, for whose sake the good of other virtues is set aside, is better than the other virtues. On the contrary, obedience deserves praise because it proceeds from charity. For Gregory says in his commentary on Job 35 that obedience should be practiced not out of servile fear, but from a sense of charity, not through fear of punishment, but through love of justice. Therefore, charity is a greater virtue than obedience. I answer that, just as sin consists in man contemning God, and adhering to mutable things. So the merit of a virtuous act consists in man contemning created goods and adhering to God as his end. Now the end is greater than that which is directed to the end. Therefore, if a man contemns created goods in order that he may adhere to God, his virtue derives greater praise from his adhering to God than from his contemning earthly things. And so those, namely the theological virtues, whereby he adheres to God in himself, are greater than the moral virtues, whereby he holds in contempt some earthly thing in order to adhere to God. Among the moral virtues, the greater the thing which a man contemns that he may adhere to God, the greater the virtue. Now there are three kinds of human goods that man may contemn for God's sake. The lowest of these are external goods. The goods of the body take the middle place, and the highest are the goods of the soul. And among these the chief, in a way, is the will, insofar as, by his will, man makes use of all other goods. Therefore, properly speaking, the virtue of obedience, whereby we contemn our own will for God's sake, is more praiseworthy than the other moral virtues, which contemn other goods for the sake of God. Hence Gregory says in his commentary on Job 35 that Obedience is rightly preferred to sacrifices, because by sacrifices another's body is slain, whereby obedience we slay our own will. Wherefore, 
even any other acts of virtue are meritorious before god through being performed out of obedience to god's will for were one to suffer even martyrdom or to give all one's goods to the poor unless one directed these things to the fulfillment of the divine will which pertains directly to obedience they could not be meritorious as neither would they be if they were done without charity which cannot exist apart from obedience for it is written in first john two verses four and five he who saith that he knoweth god and keepeth not his commandments is a liar but he that keepeth his word in him in very deed the charity of god is perfected and this because friends have the same likes and dislikes reply to objection one obedience proceeds from reverence which pays worship and honor to a superior and in this respect it is contained under different virtues although considered in itself as regarding the aspect of precept it is one special virtue accordingly in so far as it proceeds from reverence for a superior it is contained in a way under observance while in so far as it proceeds from reverence for one's parents it is contained under piety and in so far as it proceeds from reverence for god it comes under religion and pertains to devotion which is the principal act of religion wherefore from this point of view it is more praiseworthy to obey god than to offer sacrifice as well as because in a sacrifice we slay another's body whereas by obedience we slay our own will as gregory says in his commentary on job thirty five as to the special case in which samuel spoke it would have been better for saul to obey god than to offer in sacrifice the fat of animals of the amalekites against the commandment of god reply to objection to all acts of virtue in so far as they come under a precept belong to obedience wherefore according as acts of virtue act causally or dispositively towards their generation and preservation obedience is said to engraft and protect all virtues and yet it does not follow that obedience takes precedence of all virtues absolutely for two reasons first because though an act of virtue come under a precept one may nevertheless perform that act of virtue without considering the aspect of precept consequently if there be any virtue whose object is naturally prior to the precept that virtue is said to be naturally prior to obedience such a virtue is faith whereby we come to know the sublime nature of divine authority by reason of which the power to command is competent to god secondly because infusion of grace and virtues may precede even in point of time all virtuous acts and in this way obedience is not prior to all virtues neither in point of time nor by nature reply to objection three there are two kinds of good there is that to which we are bound of necessity for instance to love god and so forth and by no means may such a good be set aside on account of obedience 
but there is another good to which man is not bound of necessity and this good we ought sometimes to set aside for the sake of obedience to which we are bound of necessity since we ought not to do good by falling into sin yet as gregory remarks in his commentary on job thirty five he who forbids his subjects any single good must needs allow them many others lest the souls of those who obey perish utterly from starvation through being deprived of every good thus the loss of one good may be compensated by obedience and other goods fourth article whether god ought to be obeyed in all things objection one it seems that god need not be obeyed in all things for it is written in matthew nine verses thirty and thirty one that our lord after healing the two blind men commanded them saying see that no man know this but they going out spread his fame abroad in all that country yet they are not blamed for so doing therefore it seems that we are not bound to obey god in all things objection to further no one is bound to do anything contrary to virtue now we find that god commanded certain things contrary to virtue thus he commanded abraham to slay his innocent son in genesis twenty two and the jews to steal the property of the egyptians in exodus eleven which things are contrary to justice and hosea to take to himself a woman who was an adulteress in hosea chapter three and this is contrary to chastity therefore god is not to be obeyed in all things objection three further whoever obeys god confirms his will to the divine will even as to the thing willed but we are not bound in all things to conform our will to the divine will as to the thing willed as stated above in the pars prima secundae question nineteen article ten therefore man is not bound to obey god in all things on the contrary it is written in exodus twenty four verse seven all things that the lord hath spoken we will do and we will be obedient i answer that as stated above in article one he who obeys is moved by the command of the person he obeys just as natural things are moved by their motive causes now just as god is the first mover of all things that are moved naturally so too is he the first mover of all wills as was shown above in the pars prima secundae question nine article six therefore just as all natural things are subject to the divine motion by a natural necessity so too all wills by a kind of necessity of justice are bound to obey the divine command reply to objection one our lord in telling the blind men to conceal the miracle had no intention of binding them with the force of a divine precept but as gregory says in his commentary on job nineteen gave an example to his servants who follow him that they might wish to hide their virtue and yet that it should be proclaimed against their will in order that others might profit by their example reply to objection two 
even as God does nothing contrary to nature, since the nature of a thing is what God does therein, according to a gloss on Romans 11, and yet does certain things contrary to the wanted course of nature, so to God can command nothing contrary to virtue, since virtue and rectitude of human will consists chiefly in conformity with God's will and obedience to his command, although it be contrary to the wanted mode of virtue. Accordingly, then, the command given to Abraham to slay his innocent son was not contrary to justice, since God is the author of life and death. Nor again was it contrary to justice that he commanded the Jews to take things belonging to the Egyptians, because all things are his, and he gives them to whom he will. Nor was it contrary to chastity that Hosea was commanded to take an adulteress, because God himself is the ordainer of human generation, and the right manner of intercourse with woman is that which he appoints. Hence it is evident that the persons aforesaid did not sin, either by obeying God or by willing to obey him. Reply to Objection 3 Though man is not always bound to will what God wills, yet he is always bound to will what God wills him to will. This comes to man's knowledge, chiefly through God's command. Wherefore, man is bound to obey God's commands in all things. Fifth Article Whether Subjects Are Bound to Obey Their Superiors in All Things Objection 1. It seems that subjects are bound to obey their superiors in all things. For the Apostle says in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things. And further on in Colossians 3, verse 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Therefore, in like manner, other subjects are bound to obey their superiors in all things. Objection to further. Superiors stand between God and their subjects, according to Deuteronomy 5.5. 5. I was the mediator and stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you his words. Now there is no going from extreme to extreme except through that which stands between. Therefore, the commands of a superior must be esteemed the commands of God, wherefore the apostle says in Galatians 4.14, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. And in First Thessalonians 2.13, When you had received of us the word of hearing of God, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it is indeed the word of God. Therefore, as man is bound to obey God in all things, so is he bound to obey his superiors. Objection 3 further just as religious in making their profession take vows of chastity and poverty so do they also vow obedience now religious is bound to observe chastity and poverty in all things therefore he is also bound to obey in all things on the contrary it is written in acts 5 verse 29 we ought to obey God rather than men. Now sometimes the things commanded by a superior 
are against God. Therefore, superiors are not to be obeyed in all things. I answer that, as stated above in Articles 1 and 4, he who obeys is moved at the bidding of the person who commands him, by a certain necessity of justice, even as a natural thing is moved through the power of its mover by a natural necessity. That a natural thing be not moved by its mover may happen in two ways. First, on account of a hindrance arising from the stronger power of some other mover. Thus wood is not burnt by fire if a stronger force of water intervene. Secondly, through lack of order in the movable with regard to its mover, since, though it is subject to the latter's action in one respect, yet it is not subject thereto in every respect. Thus, a humor is sometimes subject to the action of heat as regards being heated, but not as regards being dried up or consumed. In like manner, there are two reasons for which a subject may not be bound to obey his superior in all things. First, on account of the command of a higher power. For as a gloss says on Romans 13.2, they that resist the power resist the ordinance of God. And as Augustine says, if a commissioner issue an order, are you to comply if it is contrary to the bidding of the proconsul? Again, if the proconsul command one thing, and the emperor another, will you hesitate to disregard the former and serve the latter? Therefore, if the emperor commands one thing and God another, you must disregard the former and obey God. Secondly, a subject is not bound to obey his superior if the latter command him to do something wherein he is not subject to him. For Seneca says in On Benefits 3, it is wrong to suppose that slavery falls upon the whole man, for the better part of him is accepted. His body is subjected and assigned to his master, but his soul is his own. Consequently, in matters touching the internal movement of the will, man is not bound to obey his fellow man, but God alone. Nevertheless, man is bound to obey his fellow man in things that have to be done externally by means of the body. And yet, since by nature all men are equal, he is not bound to obey another man in matters touching the nature of the body, for instance, in those relating to the support of his body or the begetting of his children. Wherefore servants are not bound to obey their masters, nor children their parents, in the question of contracting marriage or of remaining in the state of virginity or the like. But in matters concerning the disposal of actions in human affairs, a subject is bound to obey his superior within the sphere of his authority. For instance, a soldier must obey his general in matters relating to war, a servant his master in matters touching the execution of the duties of his service, a son his father in matters relating to the conduct of his life and the care of the household, and so forth. Reply to Objection 1. When the Apostle says, in all things, 
he refers to matters within the sphere of a father's or master's authority. Reply to Objection 2. Man is subject to God simply as regards all things, both internal and external, wherefore he is bound to obey him in all things. On the other hand, inferiors are not subject to their superiors in all things, but only in certain things and in a particular way, in respect of which the superior stands between God and his subjects, whereas in respect of other matters the subject is immediately under God, by whom he is taught either by the natural or by the written law. Reply to Objection 3. Religious profess obedience as to the regular mode of life, in respect of which they are subject to their superiors, wherefore they are bound to obey in those matters only which may belong to the regular mode of life, and this obedience suffices for salvation. If they be willing to obey even in other matters, this will belong to the superabundance of perfection, provided, however, such things be not contrary to God or the rule they profess, for obedience in this case would be unlawful. Accordingly, we may distinguish a threefold obedience. One, sufficient for salvation and consisting in obeying when one is bound to obey. Secondly, perfect obedience, which obeys in all things lawful. Thirdly, indiscreet obedience, which obeys even in matters unlawful. Sixth article. Whether Christians are bound to obey the secular powers. Objection 1. It seems that Christians are not bound to obey the secular power. For a gloss on Matthew 17.25, Then the children are free, says, If in every kingdom the children of the king who holds sway over that kingdom are free, then the children of that king under whose sway are all the kingdoms should be free in every kingdom. Now Christians, by their faith in Christ, are made children of God, according to John 1.12. He gave them power to be made the sons of God, to them that believe in his name. Therefore, they are not bound to obey the secular power. Objection to further, it is written in Romans 7.4, You are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. And the law mentioned here is the divine law of the Old Testament. Now human law, whereby men are subject to the secular power, is of less account than the divine law of the Old Testament. Much more, therefore, since they have become members of Christ's body, are men freed from the law of subjection, whereby they were under the power of secular princes. Objection 3 further. Men are not bound to obey robbers who oppress them with violence. Now Augustine says in On the City of God 4, Without justice, what else is a kingdom but a huge robbery? Since, therefore, the authority of secular princes is frequently exercised with injustice, or owes its origin to some unjust usurpation, it seems that Christians ought not to obey secular princes. On the contrary, it is written in Titus 3 verse 1, 
admonish them to be subject to princes and powers. And in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, Be ye subject to every human creature for God's sake, whether it be to the king as excelling, or to governors as sent by him. I answer that. Faith in Christ is the origin and cause of justice, according to Romans 3.22, the justice of God by faith of Jesus Christ. Wherefore faith in Christ does not void the order of justice, but strengthens it. Now the order of justice requires that subjects obey their superiors, else the stability of human affairs would cease. Hence faith in Christ does not excuse the faithful from the obligation of obeying secular princes. Reply to Objection 1. As stated above in Article 5, subjection whereby one man is bound to another regards the body, not the soul, which retains its liberty. Now in this state of life we are freed by the grace of Christ from defects of the soul, but not from defects of the body, as the Apostle declares by saying of himself in Romans 7.23, that in his mind he served the law of God, but in his flesh the law of sin. Wherefore those that are made children of God by grace are free from the spiritual bondage of sin, but not from the bodily bondage, whereby they are held bound to earthly masters, as a gloss observes on 1 Timothy 6.1, whosoever are servants under the yoke, etc. Reply to Objection 2. The Old Law was a figure of the New Testament, and therefore it had to cease on the advent of truth. And the comparison with human law does not stand, because thereby one man is subject to another. Yet man is bound by divine law to obey his fellow man. Reply to Objection 3. Man is bound to obey secular princes, insofar as this is required by order of justice. Wherefore, if the prince's authority is not just, but usurped, or if he commands what is unjust, his subjects are not bound to obey him, except perhaps accidentally, in order to avoid scandal or danger. End of question 104 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.